Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. It's always a blessing to be able to worship God together and to be able to to be together to do so. We don't always get the chance to do so, so when we do, it's a blessing, and I'm thankful for that. And so we are thankful to be able to be together with you today and to be able to worship God together. And so we want to continue on with our uh, series in Healthy Home, Uh, but before we do that, I just want to... Uh, say uh, thank you to everyone who helped uh, make something uh, today for breakfast or put something together. I appreciate you for that. Um, Nancy and Clayton are out of town, and so we've had to juggle some things around. So we're glad that um, that we've had uh, good folks that step up and, and do that. So we appreciate them for that. And so can we uh, show appreciation to those who have done that? Amen. Amen. We appreciate them for that um, and for all that they do and for you for eating it. There's nothing more disappointing than providing, preparing a meal and no one being there to eat it. And so uh, we need uh, people that bring stuff and people that consume stuff. And so um, we appreciate our consumers today um, very much. You guys are usually better at consuming than giving. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys know how it is. We're, we love Jesus and we love to eat here. And so uh, we, it's a privilege for us to be able to to provide that and so um, we do believe that as much as this functions like um, uh, an organism a church uh, we want people to feel like it's home when you're here and so um, we we appreciate that and so just little touches like sharing a meal together are, are a wonderful thing and so we want to get into uh, our topic today of healthy home and and how God is revealing that to us uh, today and so uh, would you pray with me today father we thank you Lord, for the privilege to be able to connect with you, connect with your word. God, I pray that you would just continue to order our steps, God. Would you call all, you cause all scripture to be written for our learning, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you grant us to hear them, to read, to mark, to learn, and inwardly to digest them, Lord. That by the patience and the comfort of your holy word, God, that we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us, Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I mean, we appreciate you all for uh, purchasing the book and for being with us through this. Uh, if you still would like to purchase the book and you haven't been able to get a copy or you'd like some more copies, uh, we still have some out in the foyer. Um, you can also get it uh, in, on Kindle, on Amazon, and you can order a hard copy book if you're watching us online and you want a copy of that. You can do that as well. But if you're here on, in, in sight, on site in-house, and you want to get a copy of either a healthy church or healthy home, you can do that. All the money goes towards building churches in Peru. Uh, and so we are uh, very thankful to be able to do that. Uh, like I said, we have raised money for them to build another church already uh, for the trip they're doing next year. And so we're currently raising money um, to, to build another church. So hopefully by the time they go on a trip again next year, uh, we will have helped uh, 
raise the funds to build two churches on that trip, which will be pretty awesome because they, they usually build between five to seven churches in a trip. And so for us to have two of those would be pretty awesome um, to do that. And so we appreciate your faithfulness for that uh, and all of your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. Uh, because it takes uh, a team for us to do it. It takes us working together in order to do that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today um, in this second chapter of our series, uh, Team Being Greater Than Monarchy. Team Being Greater Than Monarchy. Um, we think about uh, these concepts in our society. Um, for me, the, the most appropriate example, uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there because we have some sports fans. We have some people that are not sports fans. Um, so, you know, I can't always make an, uh, an analogy that makes sense for everybody. And so for those of you who are not sports fans, just say uh-huh at the appropriate times, and we'll keep moving forward. Uh, those, the other, the, those of us meatheads that have enjoyed sports in our life, um, you, you can, you'll probably catch this analogy. But um, in 97 or in 96, uh, we saw the last run of, of a, a three-peat of championships with the Chicago Bulls, which is a basketball team in the National Basketball Association. And so they made a documentary about that called The Last Dance. And in the documentary, they kind of uh, lay out what led up to uh, this dynasty, right? So they were the first team to ever uh, have two three-peats. And so it's a pretty, pretty significant achievement in the world of sports. Um, and so uh, they talk about some of the nuances that made the team what it was. And most specifically, uh, the team had Michael Jordan on it, which most people know who Michael Jordan is, uh, even if you just wear his underwear. Um, <laughs> and you have no idea that he played basketball. You just think he saved the world from a bunch of aliens. That's okay. Most of us know who Michael Jordan is, right? We may not know about anything else. We know who Michael Jordan is. So on the team at the time, there was a coach named Doug Collins. And Doug Collins loved Michael Jordan. Who wouldn't, right? Most of his players didn't because he was selfish. And he always wanted the ball. And you can't blame him, right? When you see some of the things that he could do, you're like, my goodness, this dude can do anything. Right? He can jump from the half-court line and, and stretch his arm 25 feet and dunk a ball to save the world and the galaxy. Why would I not let him have the ball, right? That was Doug Collins' perspective. The problem is, is that the team suffered because Michael had the ball all the time. And so they were really good. They would overachieve every year, but Michael never made it to the championship. That's actually hard for some people to believe that Michael Jordan played 15 seasons in the uh, NBA and only won six championships. We thought that he would breathe and championships would just come to him, right? Because that's the persona that most sports fans have about him, right? But no, he lost more years than he won. And most of that was because he had a coach. Now, no disrespect to Doug Collins, but as the story unfolds, it was clear that Doug Collins wanted the ball in Michael's hands. Well, there was an assistant coach on the team named Phil Jackson, who wasn't anybody significant at that time, but he, came, he ended up being the architect uh, with him and Tex Winter of what's called the triangle offense. And uh, they won six championships with the Chicago Bulls. He won uh, some with the Lakers. Uh, and so he already had championships as a player with the Knicks. And so I think he's got like 11 championships altogether. Pretty, pretty successful resume. Um, but at the time, it was kind of a revolutionary thing. But what happened, as the players identified, is that when Phil Jackson became the coach, Michael Jordan wasn't a big fan of him because he took the ball out of Michael's hands. And so there were players that were saying that uh, Doug Collins was good for Michael, but Phil Jackson was good for the team. And what happened is when they started to play like a team, something miraculous started to happen. They started to win, right? And so thus we see the notion of team playing and team sports 
uh, being so dependent upon the team working together and everybody doing their, their individual thing, right? And so we're going to segue into that notion of what a team looks like uh, and bring that into focus of what it, what it looks like in a home. And so that's the title of what we're going to look at, that a team is greater than a monarchy. And so we're going to look at a few verses in Paul's letter to the church in Colossae this morning as we look at this together. And so it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now it's important to know why Paul started this way, right? Usually when you read verses like this, most of the men wake up in church. And so we appreciate them for being with us today. Hello. Welcome to Beach Church. Um, one of the reasons why we see a distinction here between wives and women is because uh, in the culture, both in Roman culture, uh, Hebrew culture, even in the Greek culture, um, when it came to the dynamics of a home, um, all of the rights and the authority was within the husband, right? So this letter wasn't um, out of realm with what the culture was saying at that time, right? And so it does, it does make a distinction, though, because wives is a very specific phrase made there, right? It's not women um, shall always be subjected to men, uh, and men should always have authority over women. Um, it is wives... Uh, Submit to your husband as the leader of your home, right? Uh, that, that's what it says. And it makes a distinction because there are other instances of women who were leading churches, who were leading homes, who were starting churches. And so there's a distinction between wives and women here that's important to make. Um, and then you see a connection here, as is fitting in the Lord, which gives scholars a lot of ammunition to reject some of the hierarchy uh, that we've seen in our society where women have been subjected uh, and have not had a voice and have not been able to speak. And need to just stay barefoot and stay in the kitchen and life will be better. All the craziness um, that we see, right? Um, I was more comfortable when my mom was not in the kitchen because there were knives there. <laughs> there were sharp objects. And she was really good at throwing things at people that didn't listen to her. Um, so you just be running your mouth. Next thing you know, you have something slammed into the wall. You're like, all right, I get it. I'm sorry. Um, and so... That's not what the text is saying. It's not saying that. It's saying wives, in the context of all these things, surrender your husband as is fitting to the Lord. In other words, recognize that they're there. But then it goes on to the husband. It says, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. In other words, don't let there be friction between you. And why is that important in a healthy home? Well, what the author and what Paul is saying right here from the very beginning, that before you get anything else, if a husband and wife's relationship is not strong, it affects everything else that the house does. And so often that's what you see, sadly, in our society is that there's a break between the husband and wife and that it's difficult for there to truly be uh, all the dynamics of what would make up a healthy home uh, in that. doesn't mean that it's insurmountable. It just means it becomes more difficult um, in, some, in some cases. I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I'm just, that's just the reality of it. Um, and so this dynamic of a husband and wife are very important in the beginning stages of, of making a healthy home. If you're going to have children, there's going to be other people in it. Husband and wife working together make all the difference. If you're just a husband and wife, if you are just with uh, yourself, all of this matters in building a perspective. Then it goes on to say, children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, now this language here says fathers, but it could also mean parents because of the way that the word is used. So fathers or parents, do not provoke your children so they will become, not become disheartened. And then culturally, uh, Paul was speaking to those who were, in, who were enslaved, 
uh, and, and who were connected here. And so we see the word slaves here. Some translations use bond servants. Some modern um, translators have tried to contemporize this and say uh, people who work for somebody, right? If, if, you, if you have to work for somebody to get paid uh, and they're paying, providing you a wages, um, because obviously we know that, that that context means something different in our culture today, thankfully. Um, slaves obey your early masters in every respect, not only when they are watching, uh, like those who are strictly people pleasers, but with a sincere heart, fearing the Lord. Then he goes on to summarize all this together by saying, whatever you are doing, work at it with enthusiasm, as to the Lord, and not for people. So when we think about the concept of a healthy home, I believe there are five ways that we can look at this. And all of these will lead up to uh, a sixth dynamic uh, in our lives. And so we're going to look at these five components, and some of them might be reviewed for us um, from what we talked about last week. But number one, it says uh, that a healthy home is centered on God and His Word. Centered on God and His Word. When we think about the concepts of a healthy home, uh, likewise, we talked about last week about home being where the heart is and valuing the home because of God putting value on the home. We have to recognize that in order for a home to develop the healthy culture it needs to, it has to be centered on God and His Word. And that can't just come from one person. It may, it may come from one person at some point because you might be in a home where you feel like no one connects to what you're saying and doesn't share the belief that you have in God. And so you have to stand true in that. And my encouragement to you is if you're the only one in your house that seems to be standing for truth, or if you're uh, in the minority, it seems like in your home and standing for truth, then you need to continue to trust God and believe God and stand for truth and lead your home in a way it needs to be led so that uh, God in His faithfulness will open the eyes. Because He will do that. God is faithful to do that. There's so many examples of us uh, trying to live for the Lord in our home and knowing that those around us may not be uh, in agreement with us, but we can walk in agreement and with God. And through our actions and through uh, what we do, we can see God move in our homes. I know for me, it took 30 years for my dad to come to the Lord. But we believed and trusted God that he was going to, to be saved. And in his faithfulness, God opened his eyes. And, and it was a beautiful thing to see, but it took some time. And so don't be discouraged if you are the only one. But if you are the only one, that doesn't mean that you still shouldn't center your, your time in your home on God and His Word. And that's important because we have an opportunity to uh, build our lives and to build uh, everything in our lives around the Lord. So that it's not so much about us being religious in here, but it's about us taking God everywhere we go. Right? So, and that's, that if it's just you, then you do that. If there's a roommate, if there's somebody else in your house, a spouse, a friend, then you endeavor to make your home centered on God and His Word so that everybody there would understand that dynamic. And it's important because homes have always been the ultimate place for people to experience God. They've always been the ultimate place. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't a time and a place because the Bible describes that. And we see the practical reasons why uh, many, many churches and many, many communities have transitioned from meeting in homes to meeting in places. Right? As much as we love the idea of all being in homes, none of us could have put out the breakfast and the spread without having a place to meet, right? That's right. So we, we have to understand there's a practical reason why those things have shifted throughout the years. But the home has always been a fundamental place where God has met, right? His people. 
And it's where children have been discipled. And it's where people have learned about God. Right? So in 1780, anybody ever heard of Robert Rakes? Robert Rakes is considered to be the author um, and the founder of Sunday School. Sunday School, uh, most of us are familiar with that. Uh, there are many places, many churches that still um, operate in, in a Sunday school type environment. Um, and so why he started it is what's most fascinating. In 1780, Robert Rakes noticed that all these wild street urchins were running like crazy people. And uh, thank you. Running like crazy people uh, and doing things that were unbecoming of children. And so he said, I need to do something to keep these kids from being crazy. <laughs> right? So he got a bunch of teachers together and said, Hey, will you come and teach on Sunday so that these, these kids have something to do? And so it was a huge success, as you can imagine, right? Kids on the street. Kids in church learning about Jesus. What could go wrong with that, right? So it was a huge success, and it still is today in many cases, right? Training people to learn about God is something that is, is fundamental in, in gathering together in churches, right, of all ages. But something unexpected happened um, when church began to be the, the, the ultimate place where people began to learn about God. As it almost started to disconnect our need to experience God at home. So then people started coming to church to experience God. It was almost like a regression back to uh, even Old Testament times where uh, people, even though God was not contained in a building or, or by an object, but there was a visible presence of where He was, and so people would always often have to go there to experience Him, right? It was almost like a regression of that where like, well, you know, i got to send my kids to church so they can learn about Jesus. And, I get, I, you know, and some people even taking it a step further. I'll send them to Christian schools so they can, they can learn about Jesus and and, and then at some point, if things don't work out the way that, that parents have thought it would work out, at times they've said, if their balance isn't right, I don't know what happened. I raised them in church. I, I sent them to the Christian school. They still, they still are messed up. And so there's a dynamic that's missing sometimes if church and school are the only two times that we learn about God. It has to also be accompanied by a life that is built on God and centered on His Word in our houses as well. Right? So we can't just say, well, let's go to church because we've got to learn about Jesus. That's true. We should come to church to worship Him, to learn about Him, to fellowship together. But it's mostly founded in our homes. And the most meaningful times that we have with God and with each other should be in our homes. doesn't mean that God doesn't want to reveal Himself to us in these moments when we gather together. We've talked about the incredible blessing of gathering together and the convergence that happens between heaven and earth. But a home that's centered on God and His Word is a home that recognizes that uh, we have an important responsibility to make sure our homes are important, right? So, as the church transitioned into a more established, organized religious entity, you began to see uh, churches and, and, and things, assembly halls coming together for people to gather at. And so, you know, when Paul was writing this, everything was still very much focused still on uh, just a home life structure. Um, but as things have changed, things are different. You, know, you could go outside and on a good day, if you're, 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 you're warmed up enough, you could throw a rock and probably hit a church from our church. 
And so it's possible in our world that we, we can experience an abundance in our culture, at least, an abundance of churches all over the place. Right? Because people began to build churches and they began to, to meet in those places. Now that doesn't mean that uh, that superseded or that removes anything else because even today, churches are meeting all over the place. And you can have you know, preferences of where you prefer to meet. Um, I'm just glad you showed up today. And, and, and so we can get into all the other stuff later. But there are people that meet in um, concert halls. There are people that meet outside. There are people that meet on boats. There are people that meet in restaurants. There, there are people that meet in coffee houses, uh, homes, even in bars. They meet everywhere. Right? So the church has never been contained uh, and shouldn't be contained to locations. Right? It's always been a growing, breathing, organic uh, thing. And so that's important because as much as the church uh, is organized and as much as you need an organization when it comes to the vast amount um, of believers that we have in the world, um, which is about... Uh, 40%, 45% of the whole world population is a professing believer in Jesus. Now, we may not believe that. It's because we're Americans. (laughs) And we see what church looks like in America. (laughs) But if you step out of America, you go, oh, that's what it looks like for somebody to be devoted to Jesus, right? I'm complaining because my my chicken, I remember my chicken, my toast is is over there. But these people are literally walking barefoot miles to get to a place to gather and worship, right? There's a totally different feel when it comes to, and that's primarily where most of those numbers are, because contrary to popular belief, <laughs> we are not the, the largest body of believers in the world in America. The largest body of believers is actually in Africa. And they're the ones influencing the culture all around the world. Um, and it's a blessing to see that because they are doing so by correcting some of the fallacies that uh, the Western church has uh, brought into its doctrine. And they are doing a work there. And so the church has always grown and always done that. But when we think about our homes, because that's what we're talking about, right? Home centered on God and His Word. What happens when we develop a life that is centered on God and His Word? We begin to develop loving and respectful relationships. You know, the Bible says a lot of scandalous things. You know, one of the most scandalous things the Bible says is that we should love each other as Christ loves us. <laughs> that sounds crazy to think about, right? Because why in the world would we uh, want to be loving towards individuals who at times maybe have been unloving to us? Well, in order for us to develop a home uh, that is grounded uh, in, in the foundation of God and His Word, it comes uh, because we are willing to be loving and respectful to one another. And Jesus demonstrated that. And uh, Emerson Eckridge wrote a book about love and respect. And in that he talks about uh, dynamics of a healthy relationship. But then he wrote a book about a home. And so he used some of the same tenets about love and respect. And he talks about love being the engine and respect being the vehicle with which everything runs around. And so if parents are being loving, children are being respectful and if children are being respectful, parents are being loving. The same thing's true in a relationship, right? Love and respect and that circular motion that goes there. Loving and respectful relationships matter if you're trying to build a team concept, which is why the text says, parents, don't cause your children to be resentful towards you. Now, we'll talk about the nuance of what that looks like because loving someone isn't always giving them what they want, but it's lovingly walking them in the way they need to go. But loving and respectful relationships are important because we are trying to develop a culture 
where everyone is respected, everyone has an opportunity to, to, to share their values, and we're not just growing in God together, but we are honoring the Lord in the way that we do that. And thirdly, we see stewardship. Now, oftentimes we think about stewardship as money, and money does play into that. But again, we're talking about homes, and so how can a healthy home develop responsible stewardship? Well, for some, uh, it is ordering their finances so that God gets priority. Uh, and for some, that could be a percentage. Others, it could be meeting a need. But we see uh, that being a dynamic sometimes of what people think about as stewardship. And those are important factors that we need to, to develop in our lives so that not only are we honoring the Lord with everything that He gives us, because that's the understanding of being a steward, is that everything we have has been given to us by God. But also... Uh, it's recognizing that we are also developing that mentality in those around us. So those around us will see, okay, it's important for us to give God uh, honor in our lives and in our finances. It's important to honor the Lord with, with, with what we have been given. But it's also about time, right? It's also about what you devote your time to. And so sometimes when we think about uh, being good stewards of what we uh, have been given, it's, it's not just about money, it could be also other things, right? It could be uh, the stuff we have. And so when Selena was growing up, her family um, served in the, her dad served in the Coast Guard, and her mother um, was a stay-at-home mom because she had her and her brother to take care of. And so they lived off of her dad's paycheck, which was the 15th and the 30th, right? So they had to stretch all their finances all the time. So then one paycheck, they would get this, and then another paycheck, they'd get that. So she learned because of necessity, to be quite frugal. And so she does things even in our home today that I know are a direct result of that lifestyle that she lived, right? So one of those things is like, she will never throw away a bar of soap. She will let the soap gather on other bars of soap. And it forms another bar of soap, right? So most of us are thinking, man, that's smart, right? But if you take these hands and you try to put that soap in this hand, it is, it is an unprofitable venture for somebody my size. But I'm always like, why won't we just grab another bar of soap? And she was like, no, I, it's just my thing. I do it, right? And so we've got our own setup. Now we've been married long enough to know I don't touch her soap. She doesn't do this, right? Because she does something weird with the soap. Another thing she does, which I have to take, participate in just because of wanting to be around her, um, is she has uh, a way of getting out all the toothpaste out of a, out of a thing of toothpaste, right? <laughs> Now, I think it's all out most of the time. She'll be like, oh, no. And she will, that thing will last for two more weeks. Because she'll, she'll, I mean, it'll literally be like she's digging it out with a, with a thing. And that's just the way she grew up, right? She doesn't waste anything, right? It bothers her to do that. Um, and I appreciate that about her. Um, we're trying to instill some of those truths into our kids. They don't have the same passion that she does about that. Um, and so they're often uh, having to be taught ways of being good stewards about what we've been given. Now, as a boy, I was very much, uh, not so much concerned about those things, um, but I was appreciative of the things that I had gotten, right? So all of my action figures, all of, and they had, I, I knew where everything was. I knew where the boots were. I knew where the guns were, the helmets, the backpacks. I had them all lined out. I could tell you each one and I could put them all together, right? And it was, it was nothing. And those toys have stood uh, the test of time. And then my mom let my nieces and nephews and my kids play with them, and they got destroyed. 
But even as a 38-year-old man, I will still go, hey, that's mine. Be careful with that. that. Like, James has like a little Michelangelo Ninja Turtle of mine, and he just, that thing's all over the place. I'm always like, oh, man, you're going to mess it up. Like, because I've always been that way, right? My mom didn't channel in the newest, like, organizational guru on the internet into my home when I slept so that I developed these nuances about things being put in the right place. I was just born this way, um, it seemed like. And so I've always had taken great pride in putting things back together, which is a good thing that uh, I have four children and a large family. Uh, I have plenty of opportunities to put things back where they're supposed to go because I seem to be the only one that has that passion in my heart to put things back where they're supposed to go. Um, so that's another adventure of trying to instill in our children, hey, these toys that you have, these gifts that you have, these are, these, are, these are a gift and you need to treat them as such. You don't need to be disrespectful towards them. You don't need to treat them this way because God has given us the resources to provide these things where you need to take care of them. And so that, that's another aspect, right? So it's not just money, but it's about the things that we've been given, right? And for us as adults, if you don't have children, maybe it's about just taking care of what you've been given, right? Wash your car occasionally, right? Clean up around the house. Do something to, 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 to be good stewards about what you've been given because God has provided that for us. But time is also a big component of that. Time is a big component of that. And so as life ebbs on, you oftentimes realize the times that you miss out on that, right? When you focus on something you shouldn't focus on and you miss out on those moments. For me, I often think about uh, times where our kids uh, have asked me, particularly the three older ones, uh, they've asked me, Daddy, can you hold me? And I would often say, I would often say, you know, hey, you know, I'll hold him if I can, but sometimes I'll be like, no, nah, sorry, guys, can't do it, you know, need to move on, but whether something's going on. And, and so, for like, for kids like James, our son, he's like 70 pounds almost now, so picking him up, uh, you got you to really want to pick him up. Uh, and so, and I'm trying to teach him how to, like, use his legs to jump up because he just is like, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, come on, boy, jump. Count to three and jump so I can get, I can get you, right? But there, there are times where I look back in that, and it's just a simple thing, but for me it, it matters because there are times where I look back and go, I mean, I, they asked me to hold them, and I said no, and now I'm laying in the bed thinking about I missed an opportunity to hold them because um, they're not always going to be young enough to do that. And so um, I remember one time I was in the, in the car with Liberty, and it was just her and I, and she looked at me and she said, Daddy, your hair's getting gray. You're getting old. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, Yep, yeah, thanks. It used to be my favorite. Now, now Jolene is. No. But in the way her mind was working, she was connecting me getting gray with getting old. And then her concern was, is that at one point I would be old and too old to where I wouldn't be able to hold her anymore. Um, and so she said, Daddy, are you going to get too old to where you're not going to be able to hold me anymore? And I said, baby, I... I will hold you as long as I have strength in my body. I will, I will do my best to hold you. And so I always think about little things like that because when, when we devote ourselves to, to the time that God's given us with our, with, our, with our family, even if it's just a parent, you know, it may not be a child, but it might be a friend, it might be a parent. We should make the most of those opportunities because it's not just about money. It's about being stewards. Now, money matters, right? And people who focus so much on money it usually speaks about their heart. Because if it's so much about money and about what you should and shouldn't do with it, then I think you're missing the whole point about what it means, right? 
stewards and people who just have a desire to, to, to take what God has given them and to honor the Lord with it. Uh, they're gonna, that's going to play out in what they spend their money on, uh, how they take care of their resources, and what, and what they spend their time on. And what all that's going to do for us is it's going to build us into a place of hospitality and generosity. Right? So if you have a house that is centered on God and His Word, if you have a house that's full of loving and respectful relationships, that's built on responsible stewardship, you will begin to see hospitality and generosity come out in that. And you will begin to see that played out not only in the way you treat each other, but those that, that come into your home and those that you engage with. As a child, I remember so much my mom showing so much hospitality and generosity to our friends that would come over. And one of the things about my mom that we always loved, and my kids love it about her, my nieces and nephews love it about her, uh, is that my mom's house has always been a sanctuary where you can come and you can do pretty much whatever you want because she has everything for you. And so uh, for a young child um, coming into that place and you see um, a smorgasbord of candies and chips and treats and chocolates and everything, it's like walking into... To, to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory almost. Uh, she has microwaves dedicated just to storing chocolate, uh, not to using it, just to storing chocolate. And so uh, you can go in there and if you want that, you can have it, right? Um, and so I, I, growing up, um, you can imagine why most of our friends would want to come over to our house, right? And so they'd come over to our house and my mom loved it because she always wanted us to stay close. Uh, and so we used to keep track of how much sugar our friends would consume because it was like a new world for them. We were indigenous to that world. So we were like, it's cool, man. Chill out. You got to know how to handle your sugar, man. Um, but, but they would come in and they were unaware of, of all, how much they could consume, right? So we used to keep track of how much our friends would eat. And we had a friend one time that ate 18 bowls of cereal one morning. We put their name up on the wall. It was like a Guinness World Record, right? This person ate the most. We always talk about it. Man, remember when that person ate 18 bowls of cereal? Yeah, that was crazy, man. Um, and so we've always experienced that kind of level of hospitality and generosity. But it wasn't just in the way that mom treated other people. It was also in the way that uh, she treated us. Uh, and there's a blessing to that. Uh, you can be taken advantage of if you don't uh, have the right people in your life. And so many people are. Their hospitality and their generosity is taken advantage of. Um, and we try to teach our children and those uh, in our lives about the importance of appreciating that. But one of the things that happens in our lives is if we begin to develop these patterns in our lives, then God will give us an opportunity to show that hospitality and generosity to others. And that'll begin to be a blessing to them and we begin to encourage them because we're trying to grow people and, we're, and we're, God can use us and we're building to this dynamic of what a healthy home looks like. So we've covered all these things. We've covered the fact that it's centered on God and His Word. It's loving and respectful relationships. It's responsible stewardship. It's hospitality and generosity. But lastly, before we get to the, the ultimate one, it's about discipline and correction. Wait a second. How in the world am I supposed to be loving and respectful and generous and hospitable, but also uh, correct and discipline those in my life or to hold them accountable, right? If it's a, if it's a friend or a peer or a spouse. How am I supposed to do that? Well, in order for us to function like a healthy home, uh, we have to recognize that it's not just about positive reinforcement without consequences, right? I can't tell my children, uh, and, and I can't have healthy conversations with my roommates or my spouse or my family members about the things that they're doing uh, without uh, there being some sort of a consequence to that action, right? We can't just say, hey, I love you, you're awesome. You know, you're doing this, but I, so I just, 
keep, keep, keep doing the great work. I love you. Because um, most, at least my kids are like street hood, right? My kids are like, if I, if I tell him this, he'll leave me alone. So I have to treat them like it's an interrogation, right? I have to approach it a certain way so I can catch them off guard. And then they slip up, and then I got them. Because um, my kids, are, they're, they're, they're slick about working with they're pastor's kids. You guys understand that. So I have to treat them like they are uh, repeat offenders. And so, um, so I, have to, I, I can't just, positive reinforcement doesn't work on them without consequences, right? Because I have to let them know, listen, I love you and I want the best for you. But the, the way for me to understand, for you to understand that I love you is for you to have to go through this because of your actions. It's not because I don't love you. It is because I love you that this has to happen. But you'd be hard-pressed to find any psychological journal or anything that's supporting the fact of, of consequences in, in raising children today. Uh, it's all about positive reinforcement because of the fear of some of the emotional hardship um, that children go through uh, because of, of um, the consequences that either a guardian or a parent would have put on them. Um, I was more afraid. I'm, I'm more thankful that the consequences of my own stupidity was protected because my mom provided consequences, right? So it's like if a parent didn't tell a kid to don't touch the stove, it's hot, and the kid touched the stove, you know, the, the population would be much, much smaller <laughs> if there wasn't consequences in the way that people rendered, right? Because what happens is if you don't learn consequences as a child, then you're forced to have to deal with them as an adult. And so we actually have correctional facilities to try and correct adults who didn't learn that consequences matter as children. And that falls on the home, right? Falls on the home to teach them about consequences. And so if a home doesn't teach a child about consequences, then the system has to teach them. And the system really could care less about really teaching them in a healthy way. They just want to contain them, right? So they'll put them away. And so that's why you see recidivism is such a high thing in certain cultures because they're not really trying to change and break you from uh, this destructive pattern. They just, they just want to put you in a facility uh, and move on with you. And so the system isn't set up to reform adults. That's the sad reality of it, right? It's not impossible. But if a, if a child doesn't learn the importance of correction and discipline and, and understand the need for it in their lives and the fact that there are consequences for their actions, uh, then, then when they become adults, they, they learn the hard way. And so part of a healthy home is about discipline and correction. The Bible is full of truth about this. The Bible's full about uh, how we ought to train up a child in the way they should go, right? We see the Shema being this connection of uh, children hearing it from their parents and these generations passing down to other generations. And even in the, in the early church, you see uh, writings like the Didache, right? The instructions, the writings of the apostles that was either in the late first century or the beginning of the second century, where all these writings were instructions. And so we as a church, uh, we've been going through um, instructions that we would call the catechesis, right? It's just a, a Greek word for instructions, that we were going through instructions on Wednesdays uh, about what it, what it means for us to, to walk in faith. And so all of these things matter because they teach us something that from the very beginning, uh, God has always wanted his people, and there's always been a pattern for God's people to walk in the way that they should go. So if you don't have children and you're just looking at your own individual life, how am I to live? Well, God's word guides us, right? 
The Bible shows us that they devoted themselves, right, to the apostles' teachings, right, to the writings of the apostles. They devoted themselves to, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, to prayer, right? They devoted themselves to these things. And so there, there is a pattern for us as believers, even in an individual setting. But the same thing applies at every level, right? So if we're by ourselves, these are some things we need to work on. If we have a spouse or a roommate or somebody that's with us, a parent, we need to work together on these. If we have children, we need to work together on these things. And it's about doing so so that we can grow and that we can walk in a way that God wants us to walk in. Because the reason why all this matters, the reason why it matters for us to be centered on God and His Word, for us to have loving and respectful relationships, for us to have responsible stewardship, hospitality and generosity in our homes and discipline and correction, is because if we're going to be a healthy home, then our goal needs to be to serve and to minister. Right? So it's not just about coming here and being a part of the ministry that God is doing in this place, which I'm so thankful for so many of you who partner with us in doing that. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. But our goal is that you would understand that wherever you're at, right, whomever you're around, God has given you an opportunity for service and ministry in your own home. That that is an outpost where God has placed you so that you can honor Him and that you can minister to those around you, those within your home. And that the family can collectively do that. So what would that even look like? Well, it could be helping somebody out as a family. It could be praying for somebody when you, when you engage with them outside. It could be um, encouraging somebody, being a support to somebody. Our families can begin to grow uh, the kingdom, just in the way that we approach ministry together. It's not just about pastoral ministry or this official ministry, but it's just about us all being called to, uh, to live for God and being given that opportunity. And that's what it's all about. Healthy homes that are developed to work as a team are all leading us to that point of service and ministry. So when you walk out of here, no matter where you find yourself, what, what dynamic your home is, right? If, if you live alone, if you have a roommate, if you have uh, friends, if you have children, if you have people in your lives that you can influence, then we can begin to develop these things and it could bring God glory and honor. Because ultimately, Amen. it's about bringing Him glory and honor in our lives. And so I want to pray with you this morning as we think about this concept. And I want to challenge you with these truths today. Because I believe the Lord is giving us an opportunity to do that. And there's no better way for us to think about resources and us to think about being good stewards of what's been given to us than for us to think about the incredible gift that Christ gave to us. And laying down His own life for us so that we could be freed from the bondage of sin. So that we could be saved. And everything else that He gives us is a blessing. But that's the one thing that He gives us that is the most fundamental and the most important that he gave us an opportunity to be redeemed he gave us an opportunity uh, we didn't deserve it but he gave us an opportunity to walk in newness of life and so i want us to think about that today i want us to think about these truths today as we look at our lives and as we ponder on these truths today lord what does it look like for me to to ha walk in service and ministry lord what does it look like for me to to move in a way that brings uh, you glory and honor what does it look like for me to, to honor you with my time? I want us to think about it today. Would you bow your heads with me today?
Let's think about these truths today for a moment. I want to ask you four questions that I want you to think about. And then I want us to pray together. I want us to think about this so that we can honor the Lord with our time and honor the Lord with what He's given us. First question I want you to think about is how can you create an environment of support and teamwork within your home? Right, and again, we've talked about home could be a group of friends. Home could be a, a collection of people. It doesn't always look the same, but how can you create an environment of support and teamwork within your home? Secondly, what personal development plans could you establish that would increase personal growth within the home? What kind of developmental plans can you establish? What kind of goals are you working towards? Thirdly, what safeguards could you create that would help reinforce the desired outcomes of either you or your family? What can we do to safeguard our lives from not accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish? And fourthly, how can we utilize our resources in more honorable ways? How can we take what God has given us and use them in more honorable ways? I believe it starts with us being mindful and aware of the most precious gift that He has given us. And that is the gift of new life. The gift of salvation. And so for that we thank the Lord for this opportunity today. You know, when the night when Jesus was betrayed, He told His disciples that the bread that He had given them, He broke it and He said, take eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. This is the cup of salvation, which is shed for you and for many and for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so as believers, we recognize this today, that Christ died for us, that Christ has risen and that Christ will come again. And we celebrate the memorial of our redemption. We recognize the gifts that we've been given, the blessings that we have in our lives. And we pray that the Lord would continue to, to move in our lives today. Father, we pray that you would continue to move in our lives. That you would continue to bless us today, Lord. And as we reflect on these truths today, God, may we be bold enough, Lord, and humble enough to come to you today and say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we don't presume to come to you today, to come to this table, trusting in our own righteousness. Lord, we do so in your abundant, great mercy. Lord, we're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord, the same God, whose character is always to have mercy. And so grant us, Lord, to eat today of the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink His blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by His body. 
and that our souls washed through His most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in Him and He in us. Lord, we thank You for these gifts. The gifts of God for the people of God. I pray that we would take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and that we'd feed on Him in our hearts by faith. With thanksgiving today that He would take up lordship in our homes, take up lordship in our lives, continue to lead us and guide us today. And so Lord, we pray today that You bless today. The body of Christ, the bread of heaven, the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you come? Let's partake together of these elements. And as you come, if there's anything you need prayer for today, we want to pray with you today. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.